All right, welcome back to the Cracks in Postmodernity. Today we have Peter Sonsky, who is the presidential candidate for the American Solidarity Party for election 24. Peter, thanks so much for coming on. Stephen, thank you. Thanks for your interest in the American Solidarity Party. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, so for people who have been following the podcast, the Substack for a while, you know, we've done a lot of work with people involved in ASP. Uh, we've had Albert Thompson on, we had Amar Patel do a guest piece. So we're very much excited to have Peter talking about the presidential campaign. But first off, for people who aren't familiar with the American Solidarity Party, can you give people a sense of, first of all, how did it grow? How did it come to be? But also, what are some of the main tenets of the party? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, the American Solidarity Party was formed in, um, in a formal sense in 2016. Uh, its genesis was a little bit before that here in the United States, but it comes from an even uh, longer history of a movement in politics known as Christian democracy. That has uh, deeper roots, Stephen, in both Europe and uh, more recently in Latin America, but the uh, American Solidarity Party is its only manifestation, if you will, in the United States. So as I say, the party was formalized in 2016. It had a presidential candidate in that year, and it also had a presidential candidate in the uh, 2020 election. And now I am its nominee for 2024. Um, uh, what it stands for. Well, Christian democracy had its origins in the late 19th century. And it was an effort to try to um, bridge a gap between um, a um, a growing sentiment toward socialism and communism on one side of the spectrum and um, a, an overly zealous capitalism on the opposite side of the spectrum, because this was a period of um, industrial revolution in the United States, but also in Europe. And it was a time in which a lot of people were moving from uh, subsistence type of living to uh, full employment, often in manufacturing. And there was a great concern for the, uh, the rights and the, um, the, the proper uh, respect for labor, for workers. Mm -hmm. so that is the, the broad sense of where it comes from. Um, it has developed through time and adopted a lot of tenets of Christian social teaching. And I stress that even though these have Christianity and, and even in some cases uh, Catholicism very uh, fundamentally at the, um, the root, this is by no means um, an effort to be integralist. It's no means uh, an effort to be uh, a theocracy. It's, it's simply to say that these uh, tenets that we stand for, life, for example, from conception until natural death, concern for the environment, concern for labor, as I've already cited, um, all of these things have a foundation in natural law and concern for uh, human beings, human dignity, and they all are uh, very complementary of one another. So while they are uh, coming from a, a Christian perspective, they are uh, understood as being applicable in a pluralist society such as we have in the United States. So now that people have a better sense of what ASP is about, how it came to be, tell us a little bit more about yourself your own background and how you ended up in this position running for, uh, for the ASP's, uh, no, the presidential campaign. Sure, thank you, Stephen. So I was born when John Kennedy was president and throughout my early lifetime, my parents were uh, both uh, from blue collar backgrounds. 
Um, my, uh, my father's family immigrated to the United States in the 1920s. My uh, mother's family immigrated to the United States uh, just before uh, the turn of the 20th century. And both uh, families were uh, employed in the textile industry, which is, uh, was uh, very common here in Connecticut where I live. So I grew up in a blue collar environment and uh, was registered as a Democrat from uh, my uh, first opportunity to vote and uh, voted in my first uh, election for Jimmy Carter for president. Uh, Jimmy Carter was defeated by Ronald Reagan for uh, those who recall history. And um, that is in his, uh, in his uh, Jimmy Carter's effort at reelection. He was elected obviously in 19, 76 and then in 1980 when I voted for him, Ronald Reagan was elected. And um, I slowly began to see uh, some of the, the views of Reagan and became what was commonly known in that time as a Reagan Democrat. Okay. And then later became a Reagan Republican through uh, the second term uh, that Reagan had in office and also uh, George H.W. Bush's presidency. So when, uh, after President uh, George Bush, uh, Bush 41, was defeated in his reelection bid. Clinton was elected, and I began to lose favor with uh, Republican Party politics. I didn't see them as as sympathetic to some of the social issues that were important to me, and I left the Republican Party in the mid 1990s and was in search of something from that time forward. Uh, in 2016, I voted third party because I was unhappy with the offering that uh, the Americans were given between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and was worried that that was going to be uh, a likely outcome in 2020, which was proven true. Um, and uh, fortunately, in 2018, I found the American Solidarity Party. And it fit me like a glove, Stephen. All of the tenets, all of the principles of the ASP fit my worldview perfectly. So I embraced it and have been very active as a member of the ASP since then. I have a background in local government. I was involved in local government um, several years ago uh, initially, both at um, what's known here in, in Connecticut as a, a finance board member, as also a, a, a selectman or what might be equivalent in many people's minds to a city councilman. And then most recently I've been, and, and still am, uh, until my term expires here in a very short time, a member of a regional board of education. So, uh, I mean, now having a better sense of your own background, but also, um, you know, the, the kind of legacy that the ASP has been building up, what would you say is particular about the 2024 platform? What, what, what changes may have been made? What things may be emphasized this year that you think is worth pointing out to people who are, again, who are new to the party? Well, I don't think there's been substantive changes in the ASP platform, but I do think that clearly the emphasis on uh, human rights and human dignity is going to be very important. Um, the Democratic Party, for example, is not um, an advocate of protecting life in the womb. And that was the reason that I left the Democratic Party in the first place. I felt that it was inconsistent to say that it stood for human rights and, and human welfare in so many other ways, but couldn't defend the most innocent of human life, um, life in utero. Um, and then also the leading candidate, at least as the polls would indicate uh, for the Republicans, Donald Trump has uh, come out recently and indicated that uh, he doesn't feel that uh, the issues of life are as valuable and that they should be 
left uh, to the states to decide. He's an advocate of having some sort of, um, shall we say, threshold on abortions. And so those are certainly issues of concern. How about the environment? Stephen, we've seen a terrible year in terms of, um, shall we say, um, natural disasters. We've had uh, terrible storms. We've had terrible fires. We've had um, other incidences that we can no longer deny are not being uh, contributed to on the part of human beings. We've got to become better stewards of our environment and um, be able to um, manage our manage our climate both for our own future and uh, the future of the human race. So those are issues that I think um, are really outstanding. Universal health care is uh, a concern of the ASP. We want everyone to have access to um, to affordable and um, and comprehensive health care uh, in the United States, the wealthiest nation. Uh, we should be able to do this much more efficiently than our uh, our present system offers. Um, you know, those are those are three major areas that come to mind. But you know, international peace and solidarity is a big one. Right now, there's an awful lot of conflict in the world. We've got uh, a war continuing in uh, between Russia and Ukraine, and more recently, uh, turmoil in the Middle East. So these are all uh, concerns of the ASP. And I think, uh, especially given the political climate we have here in the United States, the unhappiness that so many people have with the partisan bickering and the um, the dysfunction that has been so evident in U.S. government. It's an opportunity for a third party to come to the fore and hopefully for people to recognize um, the, the value that third parties can bring into um, into our government systems. And I'm also wondering, could you say a little bit more about your own personal, like intellectual and political influences? Like who who's kind of shaped your view of of the issues? Um, well, I, in in college, I studied philosophy and mm -hmm. uh, the philosophy of personalism. And I think probably Carol Wojtyla, or better known as Pope John Paul II, was a, a huge influence in my own understanding of uh, human dignity. That's why I said earlier that when I found the ASP, it fit me so perfectly. It shaped uh -huh. um, my, my worldview was very much in line with this. Um, so I would, I would offer that he is perhaps the single biggest influence um, in terms of, um, in terms of philosophy. Uh, in terms of my own experience, I'm the father of a large family. I have nine adult children, I see that they are uh, experiencing an entirely different economy than my wife and I did when we were their ages. They struggle much more with making ends meet, with managing um, housing and, and uh, the costs that are associated just with day-to-day -day living. And I know that this is uh, not unique to my family, but it's a problem uh, that's growing throughout the United States. Um, the, the debt crisis that we have in the United States continues um, to be um, an unrelenting burden for us, and we need to be more efficient in the way we manage things. The economic view of the ASP is one that's really centered on subsidiarity, and that's a, a big term that may be unfamiliar with your viewers and listeners, but it really means that decisions should be made at the lowest efficient level when it comes to people's lives and welfare. It should be made at the local level if it can be, if in, in terms of government, meaning 
either the municipal or the county level, because that's where people's lives are most affected. And I think that that means that we can reduce the government bureaucracy that we have stacked at state and national or federal levels and try to place a greater emphasis on the local level. We also are very supportive of local economies and wanting to see local businesses thrive for individuals to have entrepreneurial opportunities so that they can uh, they can grow and prosper themselves rather than constantly being just a cog in the wheel of a large um, and sometimes uh, very unfriendly toward labor um, commercial enterprise. Yeah, so I mean, this point about subsidiarity, it's interesting because again, it's this emphasis on problems being addressed on the most local level possible. Um, not solely, not going straight to the federal government to resolve issues, because obviously the federal government is not a far remove from the, the the real, the everyday lives of most, you know, normal people. Whereas the people who I live with, my neighbors, my family, my, my local government is more likely to understand what's at stake in whatever issue. But so that being said, like, if, you know, if you, if you get this position, you know, at a federal level, if the ASP enters into power on a higher political level, how would it help to foster the agency of local communities? How would it help to like to really create a, a culture of subsidiarity rather than you know replacing the role of of the local community or everyday people? Right. I think that's a, a a great way to phrase it because it's something that has to be fostered. We have a culture. We have a culture that's grown accustomed to uh, the involvement of these higher levels of uh, government wanting to have. Um, influence and direction over our lives. So we need to begin to focus that downwards. And the way that I perceive is doing that uh, most effectively is to begin to diminish the roles of federal bureaucracies. Mm -hmm. So does it mean, for example, getting rid of the U.S. Department of Education uh, as, a, as a, a starting example and bringing more control to local communities in the decisions that they implement in education. I shared earlier, Stephen, that I'm a local school board member. I've, I've served in that capacity for two terms, uh, which is eight years. And we receive an awful lot of policy mandates that come to us from higher levels. Um, you know, those things that we consider valuable or, or consider unique about our own local circumstances often don't come into play. We're often told that we must do this because this is uh, state legislation or federal legislation. And quite often that means that uh, there is um, no funding involved with implementing the changes. So not only are we unable to um, direct the, uh, the education of our children exclusively as we would prefer, but we also are forced quite often to pay for uh, implementation of changes that um, are handed to us as edicts. Um, so that's a, I guess that's a starting example of what I mean, but it, it needs to be a, uh, a change in culture, a change in the way we view how we manage our lives. And you know what, Stephen, it's going to take an awful lot of responsibility on the part of people at local levels to adopt this and to want to grasp this authority, which they rightfully should have. Um, it's sometimes um, a default for us to just accept, well, I can't do anything by uh, the state or the, the federal levels. But we need to claim that we have those rights and we should have that authority to manage our affairs 
um, on a level that's closest to the people as possible. Yeah, and I was going to say this is part of the issue that you know the federal government can afford local communities, local governments more agency, more you know more opportunities to to take action. But the issue with subsidiarity is that it's saying that you know the everyday person has to take up their responsibility; they have to take a risk, they have to get involved, and that's more of a moral, even spiritual issue than a political one. Because if people don't feel compelled to take uh, to take charge of their communities, to be invested in, you know, whatever local needs there may be, then this is what creates these, um, the incentive to have these giant bureaucratic structures, you know, so it's part of it's the role of the, the government, part of it is us everyday people, you know, we, we have a choice too, you know, so I wonder, like, what would you say to that moral and spiritual question, like, how can we foster such a culture where people feel like, you know, it's worthwhile to take responsibility to get involved in local government or local community boards, etc.? You know, yours is an interesting point, and I see some validity in it. But I'd also say that um, this is the way we began as a nation. We we had uh, exclusively local rule when we were in our infancy, and what's happened over time is that these larger echelons, these larger levels of government, have sought to um, to gain more power okay. and more uh, control over funding and uh, and influence. And so I think what's happened is that this, this power has gone upwards as, um, as we've grown as a nation and as um, senior, level, uh, senior levels of government have had their way. Um, if, if there is that impetus at that level, Stephen, for wanting to have control, wanting to have uh, what is perceived as rightful authority, then I would, I would offer that you know, that should also uh, be present at the lower levels. I think perhaps uh, sometimes people abdicate at uh, a lower level out of frustration uh, or out of um, out of uh, an understanding that um, the the monies are all going up. All of the tax monies are going up, and um, there's there's little that can be done. We become dependent. Um, we, for example, as a local community, are seeking to make uh, improvements to the infrastructure of our school district. We want to uh, do some major facilities renovations and even propose uh, some new construction. And the way things work in the state of Connecticut is that you have local taxation uh, in the form of property taxes that support your communities. And then there is an income tax and sales tax that supports uh, the state. and it's state funding that comes back to us in the way of grants that allow us to make decisions on how to move forward because we don't have the means in our own local communities to perform these, uh, these major renovations or constructions. So we, we have become dependent on them. And so we, we abdicate in so many ways as a result of the structures that are in place. Um, I'm not sure that's a direct answer to your question, but I, but I would offer to you that I think it's a matter of power and the perception of wanting control. And we need to be vocal in our desire to take that control back to the local level where we can implement it for the welfare of people in our, our regions. Yeah. And I, I, again, like I want to emphasize how much this is a, a very personal question that each of us have to face because like, I, th I think for me, like I look at the generational divide, like my my parents and grandparents generations were much more aware of what was going on in local government, 
the school board, the church, parish council, whatever it may have been. Whereas for me, like I, I kind of was taught, you know, that the ideal of life is to be kind of relaxed, to be this kind of bourgeois ideal, for lack of a better term. So rather than getting involved in what's going on in the the neighborhood, you know, I spend my time either doing extracurricular activities or just staying at home watching TV, hanging out with friends. Like there is this kind of apathy that was inculcated in me, and then I started to see that like the more that this mentality becomes normalized, you know, what ends up happening is that you have these bureaucratic structures that gain even more power and it's, it's not satisfying. So I realized like I can be critical of, you know, the political situation, but then at what point do I try to recover my agency? At what point do I choose to be interested in what's going on in the local level? For, and starting from basic things, like, do I even know who my neighbors are? Like, have I even like spent time with them and got to know what their lives are like? So I don't know, like it's, I think it's a very personal question that we each have to face and that ultimately when we start to claim that agency, when we start to get involved on the local level, like there is something deeply satisfying about it, you know. It sounds, Stephen, like you've come to a bit of an epiphany or a, a revelation, a personal um, understanding of this, you know, yeah. this this lifestyle that you described and that you thought was, was normal and desirable is, um, I sense, um, left you wanting a little bit. Exactly. And so going back to your original point about, you know, a, a moral conviction or, a, or, um, or a judgment about where we have to draw the line about concern for our own personal interests and um, begin to focus on the fact that our, our own personal standing is uh, dependent on um, the circumstances around us, our, our communities, uh, both um, local and, and above, and, and that we have a responsibility to contribute to the betterment of those communities okay. if we are to reap the rewards that, uh, that will come to them and the freedoms that uh, will result. Um, I think you've, you've come to that discovery. I think it's really just a matter of common sense that ultimately comes to bear when you realize that you're unsatisfied in your circumstances. Yeah, and it's it's within our self-interest to be interested in what's going on in the lives of the people around us. Like living this hyper-individualized kind of lifestyle. Again, like I was saying, just like staying at home, doing my own thing. It's it's not satisfying. It's it's not fulfilling. And again, I, I lose agency when I live in that kind of way. So this is, I don't know, like the, the localist emphasis of the ASP's platform is part of what drew me initially. But more broadly speaking, I mean, you know, in cracks and postmodernity, we're always looking for these things that crack through the mainstream discourse and, and bring about a sense of like, again, uh, of what it really means to be human and to live fulfilling lives. And this is part of the reason also, like, you know, I try to invite people on and write about issues that highlight this kind of, as they say, the horseshoe theory. So people on the political or ideological fringes kind of coming together at a certain point. And that's, again, like the appeal of the ASP that you see kind of the, the most important issues from the mainstream left and right platforms being brought together, being synthesized. So there's really, I don't know, like there's this ideal best of both world situations going on. But then of course, you know, people always argue against third parties saying, okay, I mean, is this really realistic? Is this a wasted vote? Wouldn't it just make sense to vote for the lesser of two evils? So I don't know, like, what would you say to people who have that, um, have that kind of argument saying, you know, is this realistic? Isn't this too idealistic? Um, I have another thought that I want to get back to, but I don't want to ignore your question. So the answer is, um, I, I hear this often, just what you cited, that, um, you know, uh, there's no chance, there's no reality uh, that a third party will emerge and have a positive influence on society. 
Um, what I offer in, in counter to that is if, if you believe that the existing paradigm, the, the duopoly as we refer to it, the two-party system, Republicans and Democrats, um, have been able to and will continue to produce all the answers that we need, then by all means continue to embrace that solution. If you find that that system is wanting, if it is not doing all that it can and should be doing for the welfare of people, then why do you refuse to look outside? Because it's got to begin somewhere. It's And we know that it's going to begin in um, a small way. We don't expect sweeping uh, changes from either one of the parties that is going to become all of a sudden a panacea for all of America. It's just not in the cards. If we look at it now, Stephen, we see that the two parties, um, instead of you know bending toward the middle and trying to um, trying to be attentive to those that are a bit more centrist, they are going more to the polar extremes, and they're pulling that that um, that large center portion of the uh, the voter base with them in opposite directions. They're they're further fragmenting uh, and further dividing the nation. We see it. Uh, clearly, um, you know, the entrenchment that people have for Donald Trump, um, you know, believing that this man is uh, the best choice for the future of our nation, um, uh, the kind of um, the kind of resignation that has gone along with those on the opposite side who really despise Donald Trump, but are willing to embrace um, a Joe Biden who's aging and obviously uh, showing signs that his abilities to lead uh, are diminished, um, you know, also fascinates me, but they have no other option. And if they continue to hold to those views that I have to choose between A or B, or I have to choose against A or B, that uh, example you have, you offered of voting for the lesser of two evils, um, we don't, we don't bring about these changes. So I say to people, you're worried about wasting your vote voting for a third party, but in truth, if you're not voting for what you believe in, aren't you wasting your vote in the first place? If you're voting to prevent somebody from getting into office rather than somebody who can bring about the positive changes that you value, um, it's a hard, it's a, you know, the, the cracks that you say that we should be introducing or, uh, or trying to, um, trying to implement, if you will, um, are, are difficult because we as a culture, we as a society are so ingrained in, in a way of thinking. Um, but I'm grateful for the, the perspectives that you bring that, uh, that challenge those assumptions, challenge those paradigms. Because if we, are to, uh, if we are to bring about true and lasting change, we need to look to new sources in which to make it a reality. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately for me, like I, I know, you know, third parties have not had the best history in this country, at least, you know, with in terms of gaining, you know, uh, popular support. But that being said, I think their capacity to change the discourse is, you know, like there's so much evidence that indicates that the third parties have influenced the mainstream parties, have changed the conversation in, in very real, concrete ways. And because I'm so drawn to, you know, the ideals of the part of the ASP, like I think there's there's so much potential here. You know, there's when people say, you know, just to dismiss these third parties as unrealistic, like, no, that's they're missing some a crucial point here. Um, and I think, yeah, like there needs to be a real change in the discourse, and the ASP is offering like real substance here.
you know, this is at least my, my point of view on this. It's, it, it's policy views that are different from the major parties, uh, to be sure. I mean, certainly libertarian views and uh, Green Party views and other third party views that are, uh, are, are better known or better established uh, offer that variation in policy as well. But I think we need to overcome the stumbling block we have in that the only way to govern is from the left or from the right. Um, we we don't have to operate that way. Other nations don't operate that way. There are coalition governments that are common in other nations, especially in Europe, and it can become a reality here. Stephen, I'd like to suggest that the way that uh, Congress has been behaving in the last couple of months even suggests that we are resorting to these kind of coalition uh, type of government without uh, the formal um, actions. You know, you've got little factions within the Democratic uh, Party that are um, willing to go across the aisle and be uh, the problem solvers. You've got a faction within the Republican Party that sought to topple the Speaker of the House, and it was just a small number of them that allied with the Democrats to uh, oust him. And so these coalitions are emerging and are effective, and there are ways in which we can govern. In fact, I think now that the problem with the two-party system is that the party that's in power is seeking only to retain that power so that it can push its agenda. And that agenda isn't always centered on the needs of the people. It's often centered on the, the party elites, the donor class. Um, if it's not in power, what's it seeking to do? It's seeking to regain power. It's waiting, it's biding its time until the next election when it might be able to persuade enough voters to come onto its side and tip the scales in its favor so that it's got the, the power now to uh, direct the legislation. And what's happening is that nothing effective is being done because all they're trying to do is consolidate and uh, retain power um, instead of being forced to form these coalitions and work for the good of the citizenry. Um, you know, as long as we have an either or circumstance, I think that's going to be a continuing problem. Yeah, and I, I think what's also interesting about the ASP's platform is that, yeah, it's rooted in, you know, certain Christian social teachings, the tradition of Christian democracy, but it has this kind of universal human appeal because, I don't know, like the values that you're promoting have to do with all people for the common good, we can say. Um, Precisely. But then, yeah, and then the, the other thing, though, that I, I would wonder, like, for a lot of people, the AS, for a lot of Christians, I guess we could say, uh, the ASP is, you know, a very attractive alternative, but then, as you mentioned earlier, some Christians are drawn to this kind of integralist platform. So what would you say to those people who are drawn more to integralism? Like what, what's more appealing to you about the Christian democratic tradition? Well, the Christian democratic tradition really um, is a view toward natural law. It's a view toward um, who we are as, as human beings and how we are to flourish. You mentioned earlier, you know, you, uh, you saw that your, um, your lifestyle or your way of um, the pursuit of happiness, if you will, was, um, you know, to be maybe disengaged from politics and to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labors with friends and, and um, uh, you know, involvements in leisure activities and what have you. But you came to the realization that you need to be more responsible if you are to, um, to continue to enjoy um, those privileges, that freedom that uh, you you seek, and that's where um, that's where Christian democracy and these these Christian tenets come from. Is that you know we are created 
in a way that uh, separates us from anything else. As human beings, we have a dignity and a need for respect, and we need to not only embrace that, but we need to extend that recognition to others. That's why, as I said earlier, our concern for um, the welfare of all, you know, common good, like you just said, is what drives us. We want peace and, and solidarity internationally. We want to have uh, a good environment, a healthy environment, clean water, clean air, a stable, um, uh, you know, stable weather patterns, what have you, uh, a, a, a mitigation, a reduction in these natural disasters uh, that result from better stewardship of our environment. We want to provide people with with healthcare so that uh, you know they're able to maintain um, <clears throat> their physical, mental, emotional well-being. Um, we want to just call people to a greater respect for human dignity. My God, Stephen, we have people these days who are resorting to um, violent actions toward others um, in so many ways. It's manifested in, uh, in, in mass shootings, it's manifested in assaults, it's manifested in just brutal treatment of other people. Um, we need to raise uh, the bar on people's uh, recognition that we we need to not only claim a human dignity, but we need to offer uh, that same uh, human dignity to others and respect it and preserve it. Yeah, there's so there's definitely more of this, like you're saying, this this trust uh, within um, this trust in natural law within human nature that you know human beings naturally have the capacity to recognize the good. And, you know, with integralism, I, uh, you know, I definitely see a lot that's appealing there too. There's this, there's a certain level of idealism, this, you know, exaltation of the supernatural ideals that again, is very appealing, but there is this pessimism. And also there's this, um, there's this backward thinking that um, kind of, it looks to the past to create a solution, which is, I mean, not realistic. Like if we want to look at reality, we have to start with what's happening now. And I also think at least those coming from a Catholic background, like this is what the Second Vatican Council was saying that, you know, we do need to learn to be in dialogue with what's going on in the current times. This is part of why the church embrace, you know, the, the right to religious freedom. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's this definite optimism within the ASP's position. And right. you know, that, that leads me, you know, I wanted to ask for you on a personal level, ultimately, you know, why are you doing this? Like, what does this mean to you for your own life, for, for yourself? Well, you have to ask the hard questions, don't yeah. you? Um, <sighs> candidly, Stephen, and, I, and I've been uh, open about this th throughout the process, especially with the party, because I think uh, if I'm not being candid, then it's irresponsible. Um, I, I don't expect that I'm going to be changing residency to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in January 2025. I just I don't think the, the climate is right for the election of a, a third party presidential candidate at this time. But I need to grow the influence and I need to grow the recognition of the ASP party and its platform if it's to be successful at any level. Um, we've been talking a lot about local level politics and the value that it has being as close to the people who are receiving uh, the service of, of government. And I think that's where ASP is most effective. So throughout my campaign, while I am campaigning on a national level, and while I'm trying to address issues on that level, I'm also hoping to reach individuals like you, Stephen, or like others who might be in your audience that are 
compelled or um, or are feeling uh, some of the disillusionment that you cited earlier, uh, and and looking for an opportunity to contribute. You don't have to be an elected official. You can just be an active citizen. You can show up at some of these community meetings and and share your points of view, share concerns, and share solutions that you see are beneficial for um, the improvement in our local societies. I'm a banner bearer. I'm um, a, a figurehead for the time being for the ASP. I hope someday that the party merits um, a, a fair amount of support at a national level, but I hope that only comes after there are well-established um, ASP elected officials on, uh, on lower levels, local and county and, and potentially state levels that are, uh, that are mindful of this, this value of subsidiarity, of driving down um, to the lowest common level, uh, the authority to make decisions and to support the people around them. Um, I don't know if that comes as, as a surprise. I don't know. I hope that doesn't sound defeatist because it's not intended to. Um, I feel that I need to bring these values to a broader audience and the ASP nominates a presidential candidate who's going to be its spokesman, who's going to bring these values to the public. And um, if I am not elected, I don't consider that a defeat, but if I am not successful in at least sharing these ideals and potentially encouraging people to think about them and embrace them, then that is a defeat. So to, just to wrap things up, Peter, how can people find out more about the ASP if they, again, if they're not already following the ASP's platform? Sure. Thank you, Stephen. So uh, solidarity-party org is the ASP's website. Petersonski.com is my own website. Um, we have a number of social media platforms. I know a lot of people follow social media these days as a way to remain engaged with the things that interest them. So I would offer that uh, you know Facebook, uh, Twitter, or X, um, Instagram, other ways that uh, you can follow. Um, the other thing that I could say is the ASP has um, at least state level, if not lower uh, levels of um, organization throughout the United States. They're um, in most cases uh, still in their infancy, still still growing, but I would uh, invite those that are truly interested in learning more and actively uh, becoming involved with the party to do just that. We need people to volunteer their time, volunteer uh, their experiences uh, to help the party to grow and to help um, to help Americans flourish. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Stephen. And again, thank you for the opportunity and for your interest and support for ASP values. Uh -huh.